Forced Migration Review, Issue 53, October 2016. Understanding and Supporting Community-Led Protection by Niels Karstensen. Supporting locally-led protection strategies can significantly improve the impact of protection interventions. External actors first need to acknowledge the capacity of people at risk as independent actors themselves. In recent years, there's been a growing evidence of the effectiveness of locally-led protection strategies and actions. A local women's association in Sudan advises communities on how to seek protection in foxholes or mountain caves to escape aerial bombardments. A minority Christian family chooses to travel with friends belonging to the Buddhist majority in government-controlled parts of southeast Myanmar. And self-taught local bomb removal squads in opposition-controlled parts of Syria remove or neutralize unexploded cluster and barrel bombs in densely populated neighborhoods. And note one. In such cases, some of the communities are already displaced and are trying to avoid being forced to leave their homes yet again, while other communities are trying to minimize the risks that might otherwise make flight and displacement inevitable. In crisis situations, there are multiple and often quite different understandings of what protection means and what strategies and actions might bring about a degree of protection. Particularly in situations where the parties to conflicts and national or local authorities show little or no respect for international or national law and norms, Locally defined needs, strategies, and understandings of protection may differ significantly from what an international normative protection approach usually entails. According to the most widely accepted definition, humanitarian protection aims to prevent, or failing that, limit or mitigate the impacts of abuses. This approach tends to see protection as something that outsiders try to provide for vulnerable members of a particular community in order to promote compliance with relevant bodies of international law. Such activities by external actors are, when they work well, crucial for protecting and saving lives. This approach, however, is defined by translating different international laws, rights-based approaches, institutional mandates, and generalized guidance into protection activities in highly complex local realities, and does not always resonate with local realities and the experience of people at risk. Open box. The growing evidence base of locally rooted protection strategies in action includes the 2009 Oxfam paper on community-based protection in the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC, the SUNY Center's Inventory of Self-Protection Strategies, several documented cases in Colombia, and the Local to Global Protection, L2GP, and the Overseas Development Institute's Humanitarian Practice Network Studies of Self-Protection in Burma, Myanmar, Palestine, Sudan, South Sudan, and Zimbabwe. Recent work by the Stimson Center, the Sud Institute, and the Center for Civilians in Conflict has also contributed to the understanding of self-protection in DRC, South Sudan, and Syria. This growing appreciation for locally-led protection has also manifested itself in practical guidance for humanitarian program staff and partners. While recent policy papers such as the Global Protection Cluster Strategic Framework 2016-2019 and ECHO's new Humanitarian Protection Policy Document reflect the importance of self-protection with humanitarian policymakers and donors. And note two, end box. When exploring the potential and limitations of community self-protection strategies, it is crucial to be mindful that the growing appreciation for self-protection must never undermine the primary responsibility that the state has for protection. Existing international law, conventions, and norms constitute indispensable legal cornerstones for the protection of civilians. From a more pragmatic point of view, it is also important to note that while community-based and individual self-protection strategies may be crucial for survival, 
they do not by themselves provide the degree of safety, security, and dignity the people need and are entitled to. Thus, though vital, local agency must never be regarded as a substitute for the protection responsibilities of national authorities, or, failing that, relevant international actors. Quote, we stay alert and informed so that when we hear of possible attacks from war veterans, we flee from our homes with our children, but we still live with fear, end quote. Opposition Activists, Zimbabwe. Local Understandings of Protection. The most important and inspiring findings in the self-protection research available to date are about what vulnerable people do to protect themselves and their communities and how they do it. The main factors here are, first, the range of assets available to them. This will be affected by the extent of sharing within and between families and communities, and by the level of community cohesion and the quality of local leadership. Second, the key protection and assistance roles played by Indigenous civil society networks. The activities of armed groups and national authorities are often perceived as having mixed impacts. In Sudan and Myanmar, for instance, armed opposition groups were seen as both potential sources of threats and as important agents of protection. Third, access to material, financial, and natural resources. Communities identified livelihoods and protection as intimately linked, that is, that the ability to protect oneself and one's community depends on the kind and magnitude of resources that communities and families can draw on when crisis hits. Fourth, the relative importance of local culture, religion, tradition, values, and social norms and customary law. These often matter more than formal rights, particularly when dealing with threats from within the family and the wider community, such as domestic violence and gender-based violence. Often, Local understandings of protection differ from, or extend significantly beyond, how protection is understood and applied by international actors. When one respondent in Sudan stated that, quote, if we could not defend ourselves with weapons, we would not be able to survive, end quote, he identified a protection strategy which no principled, rights-based, humanitarian actor could support. But when a woman in the same area explained that, quote, we are not animals, we don't just need food and water to live, we like to make ourselves look beautiful and dance even when we are hungry, end quote. Her strategy for surviving and preserving dignity through the use of perfumes, hair extensions, and guitar strings might resonate with an aid worker with an appreciation for the psychosocial aspects of protection, including the importance of social connectedness and agency. Being able to maintain one's dignity and one's identity as part of a distinct community without losing hope was shown to have a major influence in determining whether people had the wherewithal to protect themselves, their family members, and their wider community. When viewed from a local perspective, protection threats and associated self-protection and survival efforts are highly contextual and change rapidly with time, season, and conflict dynamics. Protection needs and strategies thus have to be continually analyzed and be addressed at national, community, family, and individual levels. Gender and age disaggregated analysis, for example, shows significant variations in both what are perceived as the most important threats and what are deemed relevant and feasible self-protection strategies. As much as self-protection is important, there are also numerous examples of what are often referred to as negative protection strategies, strategies which, while achieving short-term protection gains for some in the family or community, come at a very high risk or human cost. Examples include accepting the risk of attack to fetch water for the family, allowing early child marriage to reduce family expenditure or gain money, or sending a young family member to fight for an armed group to secure the family's protection. While outside actors should not support such strategies, 
Understanding them and then working with communities, families, and individuals to develop less negative strategies remains crucial. Quote, sometimes we knew when we went to get water that they, enemy soldiers, might be waiting to rape us, but we had no choice, end quote. Another frequent finding is that many locally-led protection efforts do not fit into externally defined categories or sectors, protection, livelihoods, shelter, nutrition, and so on. Nor do they fit nicely into a particular phase of emergency preparedness, response, recovery, or development activities. A community perspective will naturally defy such aid industry classifications, with the result that self-protection and other locally-led responses are often not eligible for external funding. Quote, first we lost our way of life, then we lost our dignity in the way that we were treated by international humanitarian agencies. It seemed like international agencies had their own agendas. They paid no attention to our own capacities to cope with the crisis, end quote. Volunteer with a local organization in Gaza, end note three. Different approaches, similar goals. Affected individuals and communities are faced with the imperative to act here and now in order to survive and protect themselves and their families, communities, and assets. Guided primarily by experience, people make instant decisions in response to an urgent need to act. International humanitarian protection agencies, however, are usually guided by a complex mix of humanitarian principles and international law, national, regional, and international geopolitical realities, availability of resources, restrictions dictated by logistics, access, and staff security, and institutional mandates, policies, and donor restrictions. Their actions must be measured, monitored, and justified, all time-consuming processes which may not keep pace with either the threats faced or the urgency with which communities need to act. While it is important to acknowledge such differences in understanding and practice, it is equally important to note that, despite their different practical, contextual, and conceptual backgrounds, These approaches are, to a large extent, trying to address the same protection threats and challenges. They should therefore be seen as complementary, rather than mutually exclusive. However, despite the increased attention given to self-protection activities and their obvious complementarity to international efforts, L2GP and other research, such as a 2014 survey about community-based protection conducted with protection practitioners, and note 4, has found that truly locally-led protection efforts are rarely acknowledged or supported by outside agencies. While the majority of respondents to the survey understood community-based protection as activities, quote, originating from within and being led by communities to protect themselves, end quote, only a handful could refer to concrete cases which they knew of and or had supported. Rather, the vast majority of respondents suggested examples of community-based protection, which actually originated from an external agency, but which included informing or engaging communities at different stages of implementation. Given the documented lack of real support to truly locally-led protection efforts, it seems all the more pertinent to recall the hierarchy of factors affecting the safety of civilians. Quote, The first and most critical factor concerns the actions and motives of the parties to a conflict. The degree to which warring parties adhere to the rules of war is the fundamental factor in the level of risk facing civilians. The second concerns the steps that civilians take to protect themselves from the direct and indirect consequences of the actions of warring parties. The final factor concerns the interventions of third parties aimed at protecting civilians. End quote. And note five. A crucial first step to improving the synergy between local and external protection agency is for outside actors to acknowledge people at risk as independent actors with significant capacity. However, for any true progress to take place, 
Outside actors must go further and place local understandings of protection threats and local strategies at the very center of their own activities by giving affected communities and individuals actual control and decision-making power over programs and projects. If based on humanitarian principles and done with sufficient caution, sensitivity, and mentoring, such a move would not only strengthen local agency, but would also inform and improve external agency. This is a demanding process, and some external protection actors may be better suited and more able to take forward a locally-led protection approach than others. Still, even small steps in this direction will help to overcome the current gap in both understanding and action between local agency and most outside agencies. Quote, the mountains protected us. We ate wild food and treated ourselves with the traditional medicines. We depended on our communities, collaboration, and unity to help each other to survive and not give up. End quote. Niels Karstensen, NIC at local2global.info, documentarist and senior humanitarian advisor, Local to Global Protection, www.local2global.info, and Dan Church Aid, www.danchurchaid.org. Endnotes. Endnote 1. This article partly builds on the chapter Community Self Protection, co authored with Aditi Goru for 2016 Protection of Civilians, OUP, www.bit.ly slash capital OUP hyphen protection with a capital P hyphen of hyphen civilians with a capital C hyphen 2016. The article also draws on published and unpublished research produced for L2GP, where not otherwise indicated quotations come from L2GP studies. Thanks to James Thompson, Karen Hedlund, and Sophie Grunden for their contributions. And note 2. See resources on page 62. And note 3. See Barry K. and Reddy S. 2010, Safety with Dignity, Integrating Community-Based Protection into Humanitarian Programming, HPN ODI Network Paper number 68, page 5. www.bit.ly slash capital ODI hyphen Barry with a capital B hyphen capital R lowercase E D D Y hyphen paper with a capital P six eight. And note four, 2014 Community Based Protection Survey Findings and Analysis, prepared for UNHCR's 2014 annual consultations. www.unhcr.org slash en hyphen US slash five seven four three zero eight two four four. And note 5. Pentuliano S. and Svoboda E. Humanitarian Protection, Moving Beyond the Tried and Tested. In Wilmot H., Mamiya R., Sheeran S., and Weller M., Editors, 2016, Protection of Civilians, Oxford University Press. www.bit.ly slash capital O-U-P hyphen protection with a capital P hyphen of hyphen civilians with a capital C, hyphen 2016. FMR is an open access publication. You are free to download, copy, distribute, or link to this article, as long as it is for non-commercial purposes and the author and FMR are attributed. All articles published in FMR are licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License.